Welcome back to our Wednesday Bible study on the book of Exodus. In this video, we're going to take a look at Exodus chapters 7 and 8. Now, if you remember in the last video, in the last couple of chapters, what we looked at is that Moses has been commissioned by God to go before Pharaoh. He does go before Pharaoh, and then he says that very famous line about, let my people go, you know, release my people. But in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, we read Pharaoh's response. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him by releasing Israel? I do not know the Lord, and I will not release Israel. So, I mean, he just kind of doesn't even care about what's going on. He is just really showing his own force. That's the attitude that Pharaoh has to Moses at the beginning. So Moses, of course, at some point in all of this, he realizes that it's getting difficult for his people. This deliverance that God has been talking about, it doesn't seem to be coming. But God gives him a little bit of an assurance. And they have this conversation at the very end of chapter 6, which will get us into this study uh, in this video. So the last couple of verses of chapter 6, we read, When the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I am telling you. But Moses said before the Lord, since I speak with difficulty, why should Pharaoh listen to me? Well, this is how chapter 6 ends. And I think that we get a wonderful response from God about exactly why Pharaoh should listen to Moses and why he is going to listen to Moses. Spoiler alert, it has to do with the 10 plagues. And that's what we're going to be getting into. We're going to start with those in this video in the first couple of chapters. So we're going to look at the first few plagues together. So let's get into chapter 7 now. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to speak everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh that he must release the Israelites from this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and although I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. I will reach into Egypt and bring out my regiments, my people of the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I extend my hand over Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Okay, so this kind of gives you an idea of what this looks like. We find out about the age of these people. You know, if you look at Moses' life, we see that kind of the first 40 years he lived in Egypt, then the next 40 years he went out, kind of exiled into, the, into a foreign land, and then he's coming back now at the age of 80 years old, and now he's going to pick up and he's going to ask that his people be released. Of course, Pharaoh isn't really wanting to do that, but we get a very interesting kind of a little bit of a working definition of, of things that's going on here. If you look at verse 1, it can be a little confusing because... The Lord says to Moses that I've made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. What he's getting at is that in all practical purposes, Moses is going to be kind of in the place of God in the sense of he's going to be pronouncing the judgment. He is going to be directly saying the, the exact things and they're going to come uh, exactly as it's going to happen. And then what we see is that Aaron, he's going to be like this prophet this prophet of, of Moses, so to speak, because Moses is going to be kind of in the place of God, representative of God here. And we get here this working definition of what a prophet is, and that prophet is this, this mouthpiece, this spoken 
the one who is a spokesman uh, for typically for God. In this case, Aaron is going to be the spokesman for Moses. So it's kind of interesting that we have a, a little bit of a one more uh, layer of another human that's going to be a barrier between God and Pharaoh. But this is how God chose to act. And some of this is because perhaps because of Pharaoh. Some of this most certainly is because of Moses and Moses's uh, resistance to just do exactly what God says, you know, um, because God has just asked him to sin. And he, from the very beginning, has just been trying to make up excuses and said, well, you just send somebody else. But he does still go. And he goes there. Uh, he and Aaron go. I want to point out another thing that we'll see in verse three. This has already been stated before, and I'm just bringing this back up in your mind. In verse three, uh, the Lord actually says that I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, sometimes people have a problem with this and they say, well, do we really have free will? You know, do we really have a choice in all this? Because if God is just going to harden Pharaoh's heart, does Pharaoh even have a choice? I believe he does. I believe that whenever you actually look at the text, it, it's pretty clear that he does. Because what I want you to do is pay attention whenever you find out about Pharaoh's heart being hard or becoming hard. Um, yes, this is already at least the second time, and maybe I've lost count of another one, but this is at least the second time that the Lord has said that he is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. However, all this language is very specific about like God is reaching in. You know, in verse four, he says that I will reach into Egypt. And then also, uh, let me see here. In verse 5, he says that I will extend my hand over Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So, you know, God is saying all of this language. He's saying, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, I'm going to reach into Egypt. I'm going to extend my hand. He's saying all these things about what he's going to do because he is. I mean, he's going to do all of these things, most certainly. However, when we look at this phrase about what it means that Pharaoh's heart is hardened, I think you really have to look at, at what uh, the text says. and we also notice that it's not just God who does it um, from the very beginning, but actually Pharaoh himself is the one who starts to harden his own heart. Um, Pharaoh is really already a bad guy. Um, God didn't make him to be a bad guy and then just, you know, kind of made him as this, this, uh, this bad figure throughout the book of Exodus. No, Pharaoh already started off like that. God is just revealing it and he is just showing us um, these things. Um, to, to us and also to Moses and really also to Pharaoh, if you, uh, if you notice that. So let's keep reading now and look at verses uh, 8 and following. Let's look at verses 8 through 13 now. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, do a miracle, and you say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, it will become a snake. When Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, they did so just as the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh also summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the magicians of Egypt, by their secret arts, did the same thing. Each man threw down his staff, and the staffs became snakes, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their snakes. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. Okay, so now here in this passage, we see kind of this first sign that is given, and it's this staff is going to become a snake. Now, this has already happened, if you remember back in, in uh, chapter four. However, I do want to share with you something that's kind of interesting to me. Um, you will notice a few different times that I'll mention 
we're not exactly sure about some of these specific words as far as the, the plagues go, uh, like whenever we get into the word for flies and gnats and things like that. I mean, we, we kind of get an idea of what those exact animals are, but sometimes the words that are used, uh, we try to just find the best translation to, to translate them today. Um, that being stated, you know, there's different words for snakes. You know, we even have the word for snake. We have the word serpent. And, you know, we might even kind of call them a, a reptile or something like that. So, you know, we might call a snake a few different things. This word for snake is actually a different word for snake than what was used before. You know, before it seems like it was a, a snake, like what we think of as a snake that slithered on the ground and he picked it up by the tail and it became that, that uh, staff again. This time, um, this actual Hebrew word that's used here, um, it can refer to a larger reptile. So I don't know exactly what type of animal this is. You know, I still picture a snake, you know, just because it started off as a staff and it turned into the snake. You know, I still kind of picture this, this snake. Maybe it was a really large snake. Maybe that's the, the, the reason for the different word. Whatever the case, we see that Pharaoh's wise men, he's magician, his magician, the sorcerers, whatever you want to call those, they're called several different names in verse 11. They're called wise men, sorcerers, and magicians all right there. They do these secret arts and they, uh, this is what they are practicing. And here they're able to turn their staffs into snakes. Now, did they actually turn their staff into a snake or was this kind of some type of an illusion? I don't know. And to me, it doesn't matter all that much to me because here in the text, it doesn't actually say. It just says they were able to do the same type of thing. However, we notice that the power that they have is not the same as the power of God because God demonstrates that by making sure that Aaron's staff, this one that that the Lord turned into a snake, that it eats those others, it swallows them up. So by the very beginning, we find out, yeah, okay, the magicians can kind of do the same thing, but what they do is never really the same thing. And I think that we can carry that on uh, throughout the other um, types of miracles that we see them imitating. It's an imitation. It's not the same thing. In verse 13, we find out here that Pharaoh's heart became hard. Now, it actually doesn't say that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. It doesn't actually say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It just says that his heart became hard. Okay, so this goes back to that thing. So just kind of keep this in your mind as we uh, look throughout the text. But yeah, this time we find out that Pharaoh's heart, uh, it is hard. So starting off before even any of these plagues comes in, he's already got a hard heart, but it continues to get worse. Now let's look at this first miracle, this first uh, plague that happens. I guess technically this is a miracle too. So I, I'm talking about the plagues that we start to see. Now let's look at verses 14 through 19. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to release the people. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water. Position yourself to meet him at the edge of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake. Tell him the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say uh, to you to say, Release my people, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord has said. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to strike the water of the Nile with the staff in, that is in my hand, and it will be turned into blood. Fish in the Nile will, be di will die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and stretch it, Stretch out your hand over Egypt's waters, over their rivers, over their canals, over their ponds, and over all their reservoirs, so that it might become blood. 
There will be blood everywhere in the land of Egypt, even in wooden and stone containers. So this is what the first plague is going to be. This is just kind of telling us what's going on. We find out in verse 14 that Pharaoh's heart, it's hard. And what God says is he tells Moses to take that staff, the one that turned into a snake. And you know that they're going to recognize that staff. You know, they're going to recognize this is that same staff. This is, you know, like that shepherd's staff. I, I love the, the image that we see that, that Moses, how he was using a staff before to lead sheep. Now he's using that staff to really, he's going to use that staff and he's going to be uh, a different type of shepherd. This time a shepherd of, of Hebrews, um, of the Hebrew nation, because he serves the God of the Hebrews. So he's supposed to take this staff and then he's going to turn the Nile and all of this other water to it. It's more than just what's in the Nile, but he's going to turn all of this water, all of this usable water that they, they need in order to just carry out their day-to-day -day life. All of it is going to be blood. So that's the description of what's going to happen. And we find out in the following verses that it does happen exactly as God said. Verses 20 through 24 now. Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord had commanded. He raised the staff and struck the water that is in the Nile right before their eyes, the eyes of Pharaoh and his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. When the fish that were in the Nile died, the Nile began to stink so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood everywhere in the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, and so Pharaoh's heart remained hard, and he refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. He did not pay any attention to this. All the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the Nile. Okay, so here what we see is these magicians show up again after this, after the Lord turns this, uh, the water of the Nile into blood. We see the magicians show up again in verse 22, and they're doing the same thing. Now, one thing that I'm just kind of interested in, and that we will continue to see uh, for a couple more times in what these magicians of Egypt, um, they're doing the same things. Aren't they really making it worse? I mean, wouldn't it have made more sense for these magicians to undo it? rather than to just do the same thing. Um, but anyways, I've always kind of thought that to be a, a little interesting. But here what we see is the magicians, they do the same thing. Obviously they can't do all of the same thing because the Nile has already been turned into blood. So I guess they do it on a smaller scale, whatever the case, they do this before Pharaoh and Pharaoh looks you know, back at Moses and you know, he, has, he has no concern about it because his magicians can do the same thing that Moses and Aaron can do once again, Pharaoh is just kind of looking at them, asking the same question. Why should he listen to Moses? Why should he listen to this God that he is he's not listening to at all? So his heart, it remained hard. He refused to listen. And we also see uh, that in verse 23, it actually says that he did not pay any attention to this. Uh, well, like um, this, this Hebrew word, it just it means that he didn't pay any attention to it. And what we find out about him is, that he wasn't really, uh, perhaps in this this uh, plague, he wasn't specifically affected himself. So to him, he just kind of could just pass it off. And, you know, it, it seems like uh, maybe they were able to find other water that they could drink. It, it's kind of interesting to me that it never really tells us what they did for those those seven days. But they've got this, this uh, numerous days that they're without water. What did they do? I, I guess they had other water somewhere. But whatever the case, he is not paying attention to this. He doesn't care about it. 
He's trying to just pass it off and just push it aside. Maybe he thinks that it's going to be going away. But eventually he won't be able to do that. But I, I wanted to point out that the text says that's what he's doing right now. That's Pharaoh's tactic. But it is going to change. Let's keep reading. Now verses 25 uh, into chapter 8, verse 4. Seven full days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and tell him, This is what the Lord has said. Release my people in order that they may serve me. But if you refuse to release them, then I am going to plague all your territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs, and they will come up and go into your house, in your bedchamber, and on your bed, and into your houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading troughs, Frogs will come out against you, your people, and all your servants. Okay, a few things about this. You know, for starters, this previous plague about the, the water into blood, okay, Pharaoh was able to just not pay any attention to it. He was able to push it aside. But this one, what we see now is he can't just ignore it. What we see is that this is going to affect him. That's why it specifically says there, like in verse 3, that they are going to come at you. This is more specifically stated um, here with this. Uh, also, another interesting thing there in verse 25 of chapter 7, we find out seven full days passed. Now, we don't typically get how long these plagues lasted. And, you know, I don't know if maybe you kind of thought about it before that, oh, it's like one plague a day or something like that. Uh, well, it actually wasn't like that. We find out that seven full days, uh, whenever the Lord struck the Nile before things uh, returned back to normal. So, that was a week long. Now, we don't know how long some of these other things lasted, but obviously they lasted long enough to be considered a plague, to be considered uh, something of a nuisance. So now the second plague that's going to come are these frogs. So how is Pharaoh gonna respond to this? There's more to this story. Verses five through seven now. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron, extend your hand with your staff over the rivers over the canals and over the ponds and bring the frogs up over the land of Egypt. So Aaron extended his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same thing with their secret arts and brought up frogs out of the land of Egypt too. Okay, so here, another things like what we noticed before, we see that staff showing up again. That's an important thing. We keep seeing that staff. That's gonna be this, this sign of God's deliverance. Then we see in verse seven, the magicians are doing the same thing again, which I would bring up the same stuff I did last time. Why are they doing the same thing? Why don't they just undo it? But anyways, it seems like it would be more effective there. I guess they just were not capable of undoing it. All they could do is, you know, do the same types of things at least. Okay, so now how is Pharaoh going to respond to this? Verses 8 through 11. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord that he may take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will release the people that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, You may have the honor over me. When shall I pray for you, your servants and your, and your people, for the frogs to be removed from you and your houses, so that they will only be left in the Nile? He said, Tomorrow. And Moses said, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will depart from you, your houses, your servants, and your people. They will be left only in the Nile. So here in these verses, what we find out is Pharaoh is starting to recognize this power of God. In fact, 
This is why we see that in verse 8, Pharaoh is the one who is summoning Moses and Aaron. I think that's significant. We also find out that Pharaoh says, pray to the Lord. He's asking for them to pray to the Lord. This is the first time here that Pharaoh has actually acknowledged that the Lord exists. So we start to see there's numerous reasons why God acted out by sending these 10 plagues. One of them is so that the nation of Israel, Pharaoh himself, would know the power of God. In fact, that was even uh, mentioned right here in verse 10. So that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. This is what the, the message is. God is showing his mighty power. And he does. So Pharaoh is starting to be aware of this. But is this going to be enough to change his heart? Well, you probably already know how the story goes, but let's continue reading. Verses 12 through 15 now. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord because of the frogs that he had brought on Pharaoh. The Lord did as Moses asked. Frogs died out of the houses, the villages, and the fields. The Egyptians piled them in countless heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. So we find out, okay, he's asking these requests. He's asking that the plagues be taken away whenever they are taken away, and he's relieved. He goes back, and we find out that this time it says in verse 15 that he hardened his heart. Not the Lord. The Lord hasn't hardened his heart yet, at least specifically in the text. Who has hardened his heart is he has hardened his heart, and he's not listening. Uh, this is what the Lord predicted was going to happen, and we most certainly see that it's true. Okay, so now we have two plagues that have already come and gone, but there's more that are still coming. Let's get, look at the third plague together. Verses 16 through 19. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, extend your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and it will become gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. They did so. Aaron extended his hand with his staff. He struck the dust of the ground, and it became gnats on people and on animals. All the dust of the ground became gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. When the magicians attempted to bring forth gnats by their secret arts, they could not. So there were gnats on people and on animals. The magicians said to Pharaoh, it is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. Okay, so with this plague, um, yeah, you know, you might find out that whenever you talk to other people about the order of the plagues and, and what the, the plagues actually were, yes, we typically know this one, you know, as gnats. But if you look at it here, um, specifically this word that's used, it could be maybe a little bit more of a nuisance than just the gnats that we think of. Because, you know, maybe I'm mistaken in this, but to me, gnats are just kind of a little bit of a nuisance. They just kind of fly around you. They just get, um, you know, in, uh, in and around your face. They just do that type of stuff. I don't know that they really cause too many other problems. But this insect that is used here that's translated as gnat, um, some people have have thought that uh, maybe it was lice, maybe it was gnats, maybe it was ticks, flies, fleas, or even mosquitoes. So whatever the case, you know, we, we pretty well know it's some type of a small nuisance, some type of a small insect that is a nuisance. But exactly what insect that was, I don't know. It doesn't really matter all that much. What does matter is God is showing that he has power uh, over Egypt, he has power over Pharaoh, and he is more powerful and has power over these magicians. So the, this is the first time that the, that the magicians try to do the same thing, and they couldn't. Verse 18 uh, tells us that. 
But now what we find out is the magicians in many ways are even wiser than Pharaoh because they recognize whenever they have been beat and they recognize who is beating them. In verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, it is the finger of God. So the magicians are willing to, to recognize that the Lord has power, God has power, but Pharaoh is still having this hard heart. It says that Pharaoh's heart remained hard. Okay, so they could, the magicians could do two of the, uh, the different plagues, but on the third plague, they were not capable of doing that. But there's still more plagues to come. Let's look at one more plague uh, before we end this study. Let's now look at verses 20 through 24. The Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and position yourself before Pharaoh as he goes out into the water and tell him, this is what the Lord has said. Release my people that they may serve me. If you do not release my people, then I'm going to send swarm of, swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and in your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground they stand on. But on that day, I will mark off the land of Goshen, where my people are staying, so that no swarms of flies will be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of this land. I will put a division between my people and your people. This sign will take place tomorrow. The Lord did so. A thick swarm of flies came into Pharaoh's house and into the houses of his servants and throughout the whole land of Egypt. The land was ruined because of the swarms of flies. Okay, so now here in these verses, we notice a few things kind of coming up for the first time. Okay, that last plague we noticed, the magicians are no longer able to keep up with Moses and Aaron. Okay, they just can't do what the Lord does. And now this time, what we specifically notice is that the Lord is making a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt. In verse 22, we find out that the Lord is marking off this land of Goshen. And he actually says where my people are staying. Now, this is not the typical word. This gets into just a little bit of the Hebrew, too, and I want to share this with you. Uh, this is not the actual, like, word for their dwelling place. It's more kind of a temporary thing because I think that what God is, is mentioning there is, look, this is where my people are staying for the time being. But the whole purpose of all this is that he's bringing his people out of there. So, yeah, he's making a distinction. Uh, and another thing that uh, we look at here, this word that's used, uh, I'm going off of a study note here because I myself don't actually know Hebrew, but in the Net Bible, in their study notes here uh, for this verse, they say that it literally means standing. So it's where it's not just where these people are dwelling, but it's where they are standing. Um, that's kind of why it says that where my people are staying. Well, that word for staying is it's where they're standing. So it's kind of like this idea of, of exactly where they're stay, standing. That place is not going to be affected by these negative plagues. So that's kind of an interesting thought to, to think about there. But yes, he's making a distinction and he's making a division. He says that uh, he's got this division between his people and uh, your people or, you know, the Hebrews and the Egyptians. We see that in verse 23. And then as we finish out this chapter, we will find out that God does exactly what he says he's going to do with this plague, just like he does in all these other plagues too. He always kind of gives a little bit of a heads up there and he says what he's going to do, then he does what he's going to do. So let's look at that. So now as we turn to verses 25 through 28, we see how Pharaoh is going to respond to what has just taken place. So God said he was going to bring this fourth plague. He brings that fourth plague. There is this difference and everybody's starting to be aware that you know, these are happening exactly as the Lord is saying that they're going to happen. 
So now let's look at verses 25 through 28, see how Pharaoh responds. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, that would not be the right thing to do. For the sacrifices we make to the Lord, our God, would be an abomination to the Egyptians. If we make sacrifices that are an abomination to the Egyptians right before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go on a three-day journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, just as he is telling us. Pharaoh said, I will release you so that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far. Do pray for me. Okay, I wanted to pause right here because I want us to, to pick up some of these things. We see again here in verse 25 that Pharaoh is the one who is summoning Moses and Aaron this time. And then this conversation that takes place, Pharaoh seems to be at least somewhat giving in, but he is really modifying what Moses and Aaron are saying. You know, Moses and Aaron, they have their request. They want to be uh, released. And then Pharaoh's like, well, you know, do it in this land. And then we have this interesting conversation that takes place in verse 26, that Moses actually says that their sacrifices to God would be an abomination to the Egyptians. There can be a few reasons for that. You know, one of them is keep in mind what the Egyptians believed about certain uh, animals and all. You know, some of these sacrifices that the Egyptians uh, would be used to, it's going to be different than that of what the Hebrews would sacrifice. And whenever the Hebrews sacrifice um, some of these animals, they might even be considered like, you know, those animals might be considered gods to the Egyptians. So if you sacrifice what someone else considers a god, obviously that could cause some tension uh, uh, in the land. And they might, yeah, destroy you. You know, they might try to stone you. So Moses is trying to say this, that, look, our types of sacrifices are considered an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, exactly why, you know, I don't know. Uh, you can maybe kind of make some guesses to that. But whatever the case, Moses is not happy with just making sacrifices there in the land of Egypt. It's not going to be well received. So then there's a little bit more of this conversation and Pharaoh agrees to release him. But then he still says, just don't go very far. But then he ends with this one final kind of command, one, one final request. He says, do pray for me. Pharaoh is starting to realize that he doesn't have power over the situation. But Moses and Aaron do. That's why he still is requesting for this prayer. And now we, uh, we see that, that Moses is still going to do that. He still is gonna, going to uh, go before God. Uh, on Pharaoh's behalf and kind of request some of these things be released, some of this problem, some of this tension be released. Verses, verses 29 through 32 now. Moses said, I'm going to go out from you and pray to the Lord, and the swarms of the flies will go away from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal falsely again by not releasing the people to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not release the people. Pharaoh obviously is not a man of his word. He's going back again, and that's why kind of even Moses says, you know, only do not let Pharaoh deal falsely again. So Pharaoh is not sticking up to his end of the bargain. Even though it is interesting to me that whenever it is asked by Pharaoh that, you know, of Moses, that he says, pray for me. Moses goes, he prays for him, 
and then Pharaoh gets some benefit at that point, like you know the plague is is released or you know the tension is is uh, is ceased for a moment. So God is doing these things and he's he's acting all along the way, but yet Pharaoh still is hardening his heart. At verse thirty-two, Pharaoh is still hardening his own heart, and he's not going to release the people. So he just lied. The the exact command that he was going to release the people, he's not going to release the people. So it's very clear at this point, there are four plagues in, Pharaoh is not wanting to listen to the Lord. But there does come a point whenever Pharaoh just cannot keep it in anymore. And we're going to see that the Lord keeps sending plagues and he keeps working on Pharaoh and the whole situation until Pharaoh finally does release him. But we're not going to take a look at that just yet. So check back next week and we will continue our study of the book of Exodus.